we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. This is America Out Loud, The Pulse. Welcome, everyone. We are back for our weekly show. And with me is, I'm Ginger Bregan, and with me is Dr. Peter Bregan. We're related to each other. Yes, we are. It's my husband. For 40 years. Yes. For 40 years. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm not going to, I'm going to say the same thing I said the other week. I mean, still giggling together, still enjoying each other. Still having disagreements, still, um, still kicking. Um, before I introduce today's guest, who is spectacular, by the way, uh, we've previously had her on our TV show. And by the way, folks, we just relinquished the TV show a few weeks ago uh, because we were looking at what are our priorities. And you have to do those periodic reassessments as life moves on. And we decided that uh, we would let go of the TV. It's a great burden on Ginger, who handles all the production and getting guests and so on. And that we'd focus on our show together, the radio show. Um, it just um, it, it uh, makes makes our lives more interesting together, as if we need more interest in our lives. And we're doing well. And apropos to we're doing well, I want to tell uh, my audience who knows that um, we've been under some stresses, who knows I'm 87 years old. And most everybody knows that we all had, that we both had COVID. Oh gosh, yeah. And pneumonia. I only recently really got the picture of the wonderful COVID doctors who were taking care of us, had a little committee for us around the country with our nurse friend, Carol, organizing it that they really expected I might not make it. And that's the only way they they urged me to go to a hospital. And uh, Your wife was kind of scared about that too, she, I hear. Yeah, was she? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I don't think she told me at the time. No, I didn't. Yeah. And I, I had something that we're going to be talking about more and more. When I had COVID, I really lost my engagement with people. I had no sense of how many people were caring about me. I had no sense that there was a bunch of doctors and Carol had organized them. Thousands and thousands of prayers, Peter. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got so many amazing messages. Yeah. Well, this is just sort of the icing on that Peter is back again. Dr. Bregan is back. I testified in court um, on the 14th of this month, just uh, two weeks ago, Thursday. And it was in a case, nothing to do with Malone, by the way, nothing. It was a case of a uh, man who killed himself uh, less than 24 hours after being rushed to discharge in the psychiatric hospital. And I've done a great deal of work around these kinds of issues over the years. It slowed down during COVID. In fact, the courtroom system practically came to a halt during COVID. And uh, this uh, was the second case I've had in a, in the past year, I would say, uh, with very important, great importance and with my testimony. And uh, in, in the case, uh, I talked about in particular the SSRI antidepressants, 
because, uh, and this is the case of Mr. William Terwilliger, Terwilliger, um, and um, the attorney, John DeGasparis, was very, very good, the the plaintiff's attorney, John DeGasparis, and all this took place in um, a little town, Kingston, New York, quite nearby to me. I uh, was able to take a, a, a very safe uh, limousine ride with uh, two wonderful uh, people driving or assistance to him. One was a retired detective who has his own agency, does his own work with lawyers now, and his dear friend, who was uh, a lady who is a uh, also a detective, but she is actually still active, but um, was recovering from an injury. And they promised that not only would they give me a good ride, but they would protect me along the way when they found out what what my work was on the COVID-19. Something that I always appreciate. And um, so uh, I testified about the SSRs and the harm they did and um, and how they had made him sick and kept him sick until they abruptly stopped them before he went home, uh, leaving him not only sick from them for uh, several long weeks, but also leaving him in withdrawal from them, both toxic and in withdrawal from them. And um, I attributed the the main cause of his suicide to those particular events. Now, interestingly enough, as often happens in psychiatry, uh, his wife, uh, Mrs. Terwilliger, had been uh, talking to him and, uh, and to the doctors about how he'd gotten worse. Um, he had had cancer and he was going through uh, the finishing of treatment. It was considered a, a basically a, a cure that he was, it was gone. The cancer was gone, but he was tense and nervous. And they started him on uh, 12 milligrams of Paxil, the oncologist, and then another doctor. Uh, and he stopped it. He said, this wasn't good for him. And another doctor said, well, you just didn't get enough. So we're going to start you on the regular adult dose, 20 milligrams. And within within a week or two, he was a changed man. This was a hardworking, loving man, a metal worker, a good man, very close to his family, and very involved with his with his children. And uh, forty four years old, and um, he just he just became deranged. I mean, good word for it. And nobody would listen to her. None of the doctors would listen to her. That it was the uh, SSRIs doing it. And then she was misled at the uh, when she got to the hospital. And she repeated herself. It's in the record, so I could I could just go through the records for the jury and show this wasn't just something she said afterward. She said that she thought that the uh, these these antidepressants were hurting him. So they decide they told her, well, we're going to put him on a different drug. Not telling her it was an SSRI, Lexapro. So he went through. Um, uh, Paxil, then he had some Zoloft, and then in the hospital, all 11 days he was on Lexapro. She said, still at the end, she said, this is not doing him any good. And uh, he ended up uh, being stopped without being told that this is leads to, can lead to an extreme withdrawal that can, in fact, worsen your condition even more. And they completely missed how neurotoxic he was on the ward. They did not see that, that he, that his falling down and feeling confused was neurotoxicity. They didn't recognize a, a deadly uh, um, 
a syndrome caused by the SSRIs called akathisia, A-K-A-T-H-I-S-I-A, uh, that makes that literally drives people to a suicide. It's even in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, the most recent issue and some of the earlier issues that that um, akathisia can be can occur in the from the SSRIs and lead to violence, murder, suicide, psychosis. So I, it was a strong case, but I said to John um, DeGasparis, it's really a good, really a good, soulful, careful, hard work, working attorney. I said to John, we'll know we've done our job if they offer a good settlement immediately after my um, testimony and the cross-exam. And I thought the testimony went well, and I thought the cross-exam in some ways went even better. Um, and, uh, um, and within, I think, an hour or two after, after my testimony, that same afternoon, two weeks ago, the doctor and the insurance company settled for uh, $825,000, which was just short of the $1 million limit on their um, insur- on their insurance policy, their malpractice policy. And I'm just really pleased that I was able to do this for the family and pleased that uh, the most stressful thing I do in my whole life, which is testify in court, um, which I was able to readily do because um, it uh, was, uh, you know, only a, a limo drive away in, in upstate New York. Um, that uh, that that I'm back doing that work full scale again. So, uh, any thoughts about that, Ginge? No, oh, well done. Congratulations, and um, especially I'm happy for the family. They've had a terrible loss. And it, it adds to the uh, documentation of the damage that can be done by these psychiatric drugs that you've been exposing for over 60 years now. Yeah, I don't know when psychiatrists, as uh, in many ways as a group, are going to stop blaming everything they see on the patient's mental illness. It's kind of like blaming the victim. It is blaming the yeah. victim. I mean, you have a patient on your ward who is now a fall risk because he's confused and he's uncoordinated and his legs don't work right. And um, the most obvious cause lies in the several medications he's on. Even if you don't recognize immediately that it's uh, potentially from SSRIs and potentially from the sedative uh, benzos he was on. And uh, the neuro, I mean, I mean, it's just. But at least you should do a quick review of the adverse effects and so and forth. And note about it. And and then, of course, what you'd have to do is say, uh, yeah, he's on drugs that can cause all these things, but um, we don't think so. Mentally ill. Yeah. It's very disturbing, very distressing is blaming of the victim. And of course, this kind of work prepared that I've been doing for, oh gosh, my first, my first testimony in court was back at Harvard residency program when I was called to court about to one of the patients that was in the hospital. Um, so it's a long, long history, but it really prepared both of us because I really review the cases with Ginger. Um, uh, it really, it really uh, helped both of us to bring a certain cynicism, a certain knowledge, a certain experience. A certain awareness of the abuses that can occur 
we hadn't looked particularly outside of the psychiatric uh, ivory tower, if you will, but uh, and the psychological arena. Right. But um, it became very clear in the earliest days, February, March, uh, what the, everything that was unfolding in 2020 was like a giant malpractice suit with yeah. powerful forces behind it yes. imposed on the world. <laughs> Oh my gosh! By the way, I um, and you may you might have even forgotten this. It's been so crazy in our lives lately with the illnesses. Um, but I out, out of the blue got interested in vaccines just a, a few months That's before right. COVID, and I actually had an article published about the measles vaccine and the fact that uh, it was actually uh, causing multiple neurological disorders. And and was not being investigated. And the investigations had all been put down. And I talked about the courts and the the vaccine court. So I actually had that credential among my ninety. Well, what is it? 70, 80, 90 papers. Forget now. Um, that um, I even had a vaccine article in the International Journal of Risk and Safety in Medicine. Well, listen. Now we're going to go to Astrid Stuckelberger. Astrid, you've been listening to my little little lengthy introduction here to myself. Are you there? Yes, I'm there, Peter. Uh, very nice to be back. It is so nice. We're so happy to have you back, Astrid. Thank you. Um, yes. Now, Astrid, I mean, I could do another lengthy introduction this time to Astrid, but the Astrid has a, a PhD um, in healthcare, her, her great interest has been um, aging, uh, but also mental health. And if you look at her CV, it's like she's been traveling with the global predators forever. I, I really, I got a big kick out of this, Astrid, how deep you have been as a scientific advisor and researcher. I mean, folks, um, the World Health Organization, the UN, and then... Uh, I noticed this time I looked at your credentials, the World Bank. I want to hear about that because I, I look at the UN, the World Bank, and the World Health Organization as one of the real centers of the, uh, not the origin of the global predators, but what the global predators, the billionaires, the multi-billionaires, the CEOs, the big corporations, um military industrial complex and so on all these various power sources they all try to utilize the world health organization and um, the un and the world bank which originated out of the un is uh, very much empowering the world health organization to and the, to help take over the world so tell us a little bit more about your background your your interests and my gosh the world you were in yeah, yes, you're right. I, I realize now. Um, but yes, you, you see, we are motivated in life uh, on our path. I, I was, for one, really not motivated by money making. I was motivated very young by understanding the mysteries of life, mm -hmm. to say it clearly. And it's, I was, you know, even during, you know, all the high school years, I was trying to understand astrophysics, astronomy. I, I was really interested to understand where we come from, uh, what is innate and what is acquired. 
uh, in your destiny. It, it was really something <laughs> I really wanted to understand, you know, where is your choice? What is So uh, I thought, okay, I'm, I need to do anthropology. This uh, has to, you know, so uh, I started and I it was the only school was in Paris and I was, uh, okay. And the other thing I was interested in was parapsychology. And the only school was in Netherlands. And my dad, who is very, you know, cis patriot, but military, he, he said, no, Astrid, if you go away, you, you're never going to come back. I was like, okay. No. He, he said, no, you have to stay in Switzerland. Um, so, um, yeah, so I started in biology, actually, because I thought it was the closest to understand. Uh, there were courses on anthropology and ethnology, but I was very um, disappointed because we were mainly, you know, in the lab cutting animals, which I, I hated because it was not necessary. We didn't, we're not learning anything. It was very badly taught. Um, so I didn't like the ethics there and I liked the um, genetics, but my guts were saying that this is um, very old. This is, is much more advanced. This is, we're just at the, um, prehistory of genetics so i'm i'm losing i'm wasting my time the anthropology was only about bones and skulls and i also thought this is not mm -hmm. not where i have to go so after you know almost a bachelor of that i went to psychology and then i took courses in mental health and mental disease and one thing that fascinated me was uh cross-cultural psychology and cross you know ethno psychiatry which was very new at the time and i'm sure you can say a lot on that um, and and uh, there is one, uh, Toby Nathan, uh, who does ethnopsychiatry, and there was another one um, in the uh, in the geriatric hospital, in the hospital, university hospital. So I was very interested, and I did my master in mental health on cross-cultural diagnosis with one of the professors, uh, and also Dr. John Berry from Canada, University of Canada. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I... Astrid, we will yeah. take a break right now. We have a break for... Uh advertising on america oh, out loud, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just continue when we get back yeah with your and please story put, you put your input after i tell the story of who on the mental health cross-cultural okay. because i would like to hear you on on this ethnopsychiatry how important it is okay <laughs> we'll be right back This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. 
Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We're back with uh, Astrid Stuckelberger, PhD, and uh, several master's degrees and undergraduate degrees, uh, a, a real searcher for truth. Uh, uh, continue, please, Astrid. Yes, uh, yes, I want to hear you, Peter, on this also. But you see, I, that's the door where I really entered um, with a, a work, and as I was just student and still, but but they offered me to edit a book on Alzheimer's disease and and um, that's where my career started. But I had done during my studies, uh, I was fascinated by the UN. It was right in, you know, in Geneva and on the international world because my dad did not want me to travel. I traveled for my holidays, etc. I went to India. We were traveling to Norway a lot. But I thought, okay, then I, I'm going to travel here. <laughs> so the United Nations offered a summer school and I'll come back to WHO a summer school on the UN from the DPI, Department of Public Information. So I had already taken that course. I was 22 year old and I was fascinated that everybody is there in the room together. So I come back uh, from another door three years later and going to um, the mental health division of WHO, Norman Sartorius, who was a very interesting doctor from Yugoslavia. Uh, he accepted. Uh, I worked, I had an office there and uh, I conducted a, uh, with WHO, so as help, and it was my master's degree. I was very lucky, I thought. Um, this cross-cultural diagnosis in seven countries in primary health centers. And th the results were very clear that um, the diagnosis is made very differently in a country like Africa, where it is more a social um, diagnosis before it is an individual diagnosis versus the USA, where it is very individualistic, you take the person out of context and you almost like blame him, you know. Uh, so yes. exactly what you were describing. Yeah, you want to comment? <laughs> well, I think it's really important what you're saying. And um, <clears throat> I don't know whether you were also involved in the study uh, where they tried to compare uh, treatment effects in... Um, in various countries, some, they had some Western countries and they had some of the so-called non-industrialized countries. Um, and the, the results they got on these uh, cross-cultural studies was exactly what they didn't want. It was that the um, if you had so-called schizophrenia, if you got that diagnosis, you did much, much better in the uh, undeveloped countries than in the Western countries, mm -hmm. and that it was it appears to be that the uh, improve the more rapid and complete improvement in the non-industrialized countries was due to two factors: a, the drugs were less available and people weren't taking them as much, and b, 
the families and the society, the, the cultural support for the individual in recovery was much greater. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that particular study, but it's quite stunning. And of course, the WHO did not want to publicize it. Yeah, now that you, you say it, I, I remember. And it's beautiful because it is, it gives um, that the family and the society is a treatment and it gives hope that I remember, yeah, now that you say that in the study that I was very shocked that the USA was so re relying on so much drugs already at that time. And even I looked at the psychiatric, World Psychiatric Association, and it was, you know, the C um, symbol with the earth in it. <laughs> and I was a lot in symbolology with Jung and all this. And I was like, oh, so psychiatry in the US is holding the world. You see, it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly grandiose, but it's, um, <laughs> and uh, oh my lord! It, and so and much... a psychiatrist uh, confirmed that to me, some psychogeriatrics uh, later on in my life, and he said, "Yet it it has really become too much of drugs, and there's so many interactions in the drug um, that you know." I even collaborated to an article on psychodynamics, psychopharmadynamics of drugs in the elderly, which is the worst adverse reaction um of all even it creates deaths so it's very interesting to say yeah, uh, yeah. see folks when when drugs are approved first of all <clears throat> excuse me the approval is a farce we can go into that i i wrote a our best-selling book ginger and i wrote was talking back to prozac sold almost a million copies or maybe over a million in that range and one of the things i discovered in looking at the uh, Eli Lilly's uh, uh, research to demonstrate the safety and effectiveness of the drug, that it wasn't even really research. Research, you're looking for the truth. You're, it was a promotional. Everything is rigged to make the drug look safe and effective, including the researchers whom the drug companies buy, essentially. And even more so now, they just buy them. They usually buy some independent research company. It's not independent at all because they're dependent on, on being hired on being hired by the drug company. So you you know what that that's about. I mean, uh, no one's going to get hired if they even a uh, snicker over lunch at the uh, the way the um, they they rig these uh, studies. They, you know, four to six weeks kind of studies very, very often. And then the, those are rigged too uh, uh, statistically often to make them look a little longer than they are and so on. It's just a mess. Um, but every, but they're only for one drug. Although Eli Lilly cheated to get Prozac through the FDA, they had to give sedatives to the patients. They had to literally cheat give patient sedatives because they were so overstimulated by the Prozac, many of them, amphetamine-like overstimulation. But the, the the point is that when you give a, a person two drugs at once, they're automatically an experiment because there's not, not going to be any publications about it. There's not going to be any research about it. There'll be a lot of experience, but the experience is very flawed. And if you give an elderly person a drug, that's probably an experiment because elderly people are basically excluded from uh, the drug studies. And and so really, these giving of one, two, you know, two, three, four, five drugs and giving them to pregnant women, like like we're doing with the vaccines. And I have another theory. Uh, okay. About that, which is 
I, I think these multiple drugs started, this polydrug pharmacy started being done in order to protect individual drug companies from lawsuits. Because if you get someone who's extremely damaged and they've been on multiple drugs, uh, psychiatric drugs and whatever others, then uh, it's even it's vastly more complicated to tease out whose product was actually the cause of the damage that ended up occurring. I think that's really true. And and this was Ginger's idea that she reminds me of um, and very, very important. That's why people are diagnosed bipolar all the time. Because, uh, I mean, bipolar disorder uh, has a real thing where people get depressed and people get high. It's extremely rare. Rarely saw it in my training. We'd have a big deal when we had a patient who was like that. Um, well, it's caused by the drugs, number one, almost all the time. And secondly, it allows you to give people things for depression, anxiety, being high and manic. I mean, you can just give every drug in the book to a child or an adult Uh but let me let me come back to Astrid. So Astrid, I'm I'm pretty cynical about all these studies that go on at the WHO, and um, yeah, no, but and it's I, very and interesting I don't think I... much of uh, cultural psychiatry because if anybody took culture seriously in psychiatry, they'd have to give up psychiatry and do something else. So I don't um, <laughs> be a therapist or a cultural researcher. Or, I'm basically a therapist and a critic of psychiatry as it functions. But go, go ahead, Astrid. Yeah. No, well, what was interesting with Toby Nathan is that he was bringing very different uh, treatments than the pharma in ethnopsychiatry and was demonstrating Good. that, that and it was very funny, I always remember, that if a Swiss person goes to Brazil and wants to accomplish, uh, you know, um, work in enterprise of building a house, he will get psychomaniac because he always wants people to, to be uh, on time. So he will have the diagnosis of a psychomaniac because he shouts at everyone and he will be in psychiatry. If, that is funny. if uh, yeah. a yes, Brazilian comes to Switzerland and he gets emotional and he just gets, you know, and he starts shouting that, you know, the way in the Latino are doing, well, he, he will be, uh, you know, uh, hospitalized for hysteria. Uh, so it was very interesting to look that the understanding of human in its context is extremely important. Yeah. So I, I thought that was very important. And what we're seeing today is that everything is standardized, standardized, and it's not possible. We are all different. That's why, you know, personalized medicine, I had hope. I thought in anti-aging, you have this 4 p.m., for prevent it's preventive medicine um predictive preventive personalized and participative and i thought oh personalized and participation is great because then the patient participates to his his diagnosis which was the theme of my phd it was subjective health versus objective health and and uh, then the other two wow. predict pre preventive is of course the best you can get before you break a, a bone you go and see why your bone is weak or your muscle or whatever and then predictive was much now i understand why they put predictive is that we're already using ai uh, predictive medicine i was using it in the good way i said listen uh, someone who has diabetes uh, you can predict with his curve that he's he's going towards type diabetes uh, number two, you know, if he doesn't change his lifestyle and behavior, but it is reversible also. And that was always contested. It's not reversible. They didn't want. And the, 
they wanted the predictive medicine, not the way I presented it. They wanted the way of AI. <laughs> you know, right. we need to predict, you know, who you are, what you do, what they're doing now. They're rolling out a plan of standardized medicine, standardized treatment. Doctors have nothing to say. The differences are, you know, shut off. Uh, another example on, on that is I, I was also very involved in the difference between men and women, which as much in diagnosis as in treatment, like for cardiovascular diseases, a woman absorbs more, it doesn't need so high doses, uh, you know, keeps it and she can have a heart attack if she takes two or secondary effects, adverse drug reaction. If she takes medication, the same doses as a man or depending on your weight or depending. So the standardization already in cultures, but also between men, women, also between ages is an impossibility it is acad academically I, don't, I will not talk of academy here scientifically impossible and that's that's why i think it's so important to talk about uh, you know those differences that are in the treatment in the diagnosis and in the way you handle the life of people in context and this is today out out of all this out of the window, they have thrown this in the garbage and people don't realize because pharma has taken over. It's actually going to eliminate physicians altogether. Uh, it's going to be technicians who look at and read computers and what they may need to do is to actually just accept the instructions from the computers as to what data to gather, blood work, labs, any scans, et cetera, et cetera, feed it back into the computer. And then the computer says, this is what uh, the person is heading towards and this is what you should do. But it's going to be completely computerized. It takes the art out of medicine. It takes the humanness out of medicine. And so many people have so many individual human beings are individuals as i believe you already said astrid and it's so true and when we forget that and we make a cookie cutter shape and expect every person to fit in it good lord i mean look at how different we are just physiologically and physically in terms of appearance imagine biologically how much difference there is uh there's no way to ai our way in into good medicine. The other thing is that the human touch and the human contact, it keeps being eliminated more and more. I read this horrifying article at some point about Japan having such a problem with having enough younger people to take care of the older people that they were starting to create robots. I think they were soft so you could hold them or something, but they were starting to create robots to to take the place of human touch. Wow! Uh, and it's uh, and it's so hard to think of that kind of sterile environment and how incredibly disorienting and depressing and isolating it would be, especially for someone who may be vulnerable in their older years. You know. Yes. Oh, it, it, go, yes ahead, go ahead, Peter. No, please continue. Yes, I, you know, in my research on uh, anti-aging medicine, which was, uh, you know, the most fascinating, uh, the more you age, the more you need spare parts, uh, robotic solutions. But, and I was in many of those groups. So I understand now that it's what, what they had is in their mind that the, the, the robots, yeah, I mentioned those robots. Um, 
that with fur and that some you know psychological studies showed that it had a good effect on the old person and but the methodology that was used of course did not compare those who had family visits with those who had this pet uh, the fur you know teddy bear uh, robotic teddy bear that was there and can see through his nose uh, the image with a camera and can react because it's all programmed so the methodology was not human. <laughs> they have changed the methodology to prove that their uh, device was good, and they put them in the homes. Oh, so- they compared people who were just isolated and completely abandoned to com- to individuals who had the little teddy bear robot to comfort them versus comparing a human being who is very elderly, like my mother who lives with us at almost 97, who is in a home with family relationship and interaction and engagement every day and multiple many times throughout the whole day to someone who is uh, relating to it, to a, an, an, uh, an, uh, an AI kind of a robot. Yes, and uh, there we coming to this new medicine that I think um, is is uh, coming back to the if medicine survives what is happening. Right. Uh, the, this is a big question. And know how can the good doctors be creating this, you know, human medicine back with the old professors who you know, in a blink of, you know, 10 minutes, know exactly what you have. And you don't need to go through any protocol that makes a wrong diagnosis. Um, so now I forgot what I was going to say. Well, let me do, let me do this. It, we're, um, we, we can go into another break. And when we come back, let's pick up that question that you had. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back to uh, America Out Loud Pulse. Um, the Pulse is a special program that's at uh, 5 o'clock Monday through Friday um, with the physicians and people, other people interested in mental health, uh, 
on America Out Loud and includes Peter McCullough and just a ton of other people um, who are really, really uh, top notch. And um, it is replayed on too many places to even remember. It's on all of these various platforms. All the podcast platforms. Yeah. And it really gets out into the world. And we just thank Malcolm for uh, creating this entire um, platform, which is really now a, a, a huge internet radio station. <clears throat> And we're talking with Astrid Stuckelberger. Um, Listen, there's so many issues that, that are sort of bouncing around. One of the things I want to remind folks is that none of this is by accident. And um, in 1964, I started my residency at Harvard. And I knew the people at Harvard because I'd run a state mental hospital volunteer program, the Harvard Radcliffe college volunteer program and i'd actually worked with professors at harvard and i knew the director of research his name was gerald clareman he would later go on to be a director of a federal agency and uh, so jerry called me in got reacquainted uh, been away at medical school and um, asked me what i was interested in and uh, i talked to him about how much i was interested in human personality and and how do we describe human personality and how do we help people? And the family therapy was a big interest of mine already. I've been doing family therapy as an intern um, at the State University of New York um, in my internship. And Claremont and Jerry looked at me and he said, Peter, that's going to go nowhere. He said, from now on, and this is 1964, it's all going to be computer diagnosis and medications. And this is what I mean by when I commonly say the best is usually the worst in the professions and particularly in psychiatry, because it's the cutting edge of the folks who are working with the big money and the big power. And uh, now today here we are talking about that having evolved where in so many areas now, computers and medication has replaced everything else in medicine and you get it in a little booklet that you carry in your pocket if you can be a PA or a nurse or a doctor. And it tells you what drugs to take. This, they don't say these drugs are sponsoring uh, this booklet. And um, it tells you what diagnoses to make and, and so on. So Astrid, you were in a long loop of disillusionment, the same as I was and Ginger has, has been. Yeah, Um Yes, I, but well, but it has been. I've always, you know, seen that some things were not right, you know. And yeah. I thought, you know, you like you would, you know, in Howard, you know, I, I was, you know, uh, you know, WHO wanted me to work with them. Then, uh, you know, I met Klaus Schwab. I with the World Bank too, and I thought, no, but uh, I'm evolving myself in my knowledge of things, so this is okay. Uh, but um, at one point, when you disturb because I, I would say the easiest way to say it is because you have you are a free spirit you're an independent thinker and when things are not in the right you, you put ethics in it and they notice <laughs> that you're not going to be bought by money or you know by 
you know, as a woman, you know, they always try to flirt and you don't know, I, I, I'm not flirtable. And, you know, so anyway, things like that happen in, in the life of a woman, maybe more than a man. Yes. And I have many little stories that are very funny, because for me, what was interesting was a topic, you go, you deliver, they're happy. But what I also noticed that when I was young, I had very much higher position, very easy, deputy director of the Swiss program on aging, deputy director of the first interdisciplinary center of gerontology at, with the faculty of medicine. And the more I was getting expert in, in WHO, and they were taking me and not the director of the center, there was jealousy coming, and then they wanted to destroy my PhD and then they want to, I'm sure you had that. And the, so, so my life has been a very interesting road, um, a bit bumpy, and but I always learn and I fought back when it was not correct. And it brought me always a bit, uh, you know, further. So that's why today, when you have gone through that, you can speak today more of many angles of this big elephant in the room, and you can collaborate with everybody in harmony even some where, you know, maybe they have been forced by, you know, some people to say what they say. You, you just collaborate for the best and the good that you can. And this free spirit is a, a benediction, really, a blessing. That's French benediction. Um, but I think that's that's where we are today. It's It's really the human factor is coming back very hard and very good because... Every, all those people want to electrify the world, put AI and forget the human frequency of we are bioelectric beings and we have electroencephalogram, electrocardiogram, but we are not only that. We are also magnetic and we emanate some vibrations that have been studied in the past and that has been banished from faculties of medicine all over the world. Um, I, I can just take you some examples. The scalar waves of Lakovsky were in all the hospitals in uh, France. Or uh, Jean Rousseau had made some um, uh, baths with some electromagnetic frequency that were healing people. And she was very successful. It was banned um, probably by the Rockefeller at that time. And in the U.S., you had, you know, so much homeopathy and many other discipline maybe you can talk about um that we're helping people with the i think you still have the rife you have a few things but that's where i'm, I'm going into this direction because i want to speak maybe also with you about uh, the mental health problem of people who are disturbed by this electrifying the world this invisible rainbow that has been there's a book on that um they are very disturbed and it they are electrosensitive and they cannot work. And we can see that you can be affected. You can actually have brain damage, like in the Havana syndrome, if you have microwave-directed energy frequency in this world. And this is very worrying. I, I've been you know, uh, asked to participate in conferences online uh, with those of p victims. And I'm like fl flabbergasted, as you say, by... by what is going on and that it has never been said and it has been hidden. So I don't know what you have to say to that. We can, you know, it is a topic. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I can refer people to this uh, called the World War Three in silent foot over global world domination. And 
its non-consensual experimentation is used for military purpose. It's from the EU Coalition Against Cyber Torture, which talks of covert harassment on the health and on the mental health of people because it affects our cardiac, uh, cardiac uh, electrocardiogram and our electroencephalogram and heart-mind uh, coherence. And this, I think, that's where we are in the war today. And that's where medicine that will survive this will need to evolve and become coherent <laughs> again because it's um, pretty awful what those people are living. And, you know, in also I'll just say that too, in crowds, we've seen this in Australia, they have putting out those big panels, they send frequency on the crowd and they get headaches and they have to leave. It's, it's a clearly a kind of a cyber mental torture and even a cyber body torture. Which... I've, I've seen, uh, I've, I've read paper articles, just um, articles about some of the police methods that are being developed using frequencies, using sound, using frequency waves that you don't even hear so much audially uh, as an aspect of crowd control. And of course, it would be looked at for human control in the dark sciences of intelligence, uh, which uh, we've been exposed to and studied in regards to psychosurgery and other of the earlier attempts to find ways to control human beings. So yes, it makes a lot of sense to me, Astrid. Yeah, and, and it's already there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think uh, I'm looking at this more and more in part through Ginger's encouragement but also just through the evolution of my work, going back, as Ginger mentioned, to psychosurgery, um, when when I took on these men back in the 70s, uh, actually starting at about 68 through 72 as they were really getting going, um, where they wanted to develop methods of implanting electrodes and remote control of people. And there's the famous you know picture of a man named Delgado who's pressing a button in a bull ring and the bull the bull just uh, stops charging and you know he said oh we stop aggression whether we can stop aggression well no no you just you just made the bull crazy you know poor thing is standing there shaking his head not knowing what the heck's happening to him to himself and i think the common pathway of all of this stuff is not yet that they can control our conduct in a way to make us do something that is an actual human choice kind of thing. I think what it amounts to now is, is in describing crowd control with these frequencies is we're still at the stage where all the interventions in the brain are just harmful, period, and they subdue people. Right. Whether it's electroshock or lobotomy or the drugs, psychiatric drugs. I mean, psychiatry has been the cutting edge of this and it's been supported by the deep state. And or whether it's uh, these crowd control um, interventions, and I'm afraid Elon Musk and and his you know interface between computers and human brains, that is people, is going to go the same way. Which is ultimately, it only harms and disrupts the brain. The brain's too complex. 
and it involves free will. There are people making decisions. And you, when you destroy that or, or harm that, you get a more docile person. And they are willing, manageable person, they are willing to have that risk because that's kind of one of the things they really want the most is a docile person. The person who's no longer an individual making choices. And consistent with that, I was rather shocked, even though I'm so skeptical, when I started reading the literature on globalism uh, and, you know, the proponents of globalism, which uh, is, is now really what's carrying all this, I think. And they hate individualism because it resists any kind of control. They lo- they hate all the human stuff. All the human stuff. They hate love. They hate individualism. They hate that uniqueness and that spark that is individual to each of us. It's different me to you. It's different you to Astrid, et cetera. So be alert, folks. Don't let them take away your personal sovereignty by telling you your biochemicals, they got a mental illness. No, you're suffering from human experience. And you can grow in understanding and strength and personal responsibility, grow in your gratitude and do the basic things that people can grow through, which all come back to individual strength, but love and collaboration and cooperation, lending your human strength to other humans and other humans lending you theirs. And um, I mean, they're really, you really can still have a wonderful and even glorious life, but we've got to become really resistant now to these intrusions in our brains and minds. Astrid, do you have any thoughts about the place of all this with nanotechnology and graphene oxide and all the stuff that's appearing in the blood? Is it going to just set up human beings for more destructive interventions from frequencies outside their body? Yeah, well, that's why I'm also talking about that. But um, because we, I think we don't know everything they have put in this this jab, you know, many have already disclosed very clearly with many microscopes from many types of microscopes from all over the world. Those who who don't want to admit that are definitely in with the enemy, or they they are forced not to talk about it and keep on talking of of, of COVID, of the virus, of this and that and vaccine. So the pharma is happy, but yeah, we we with the group on. On what you know, I say the criminal scene open to all the experts in the world. It is absolutely clear, and that's why it's due to with frequency that there is uh, graphene oxide, there is parasite, there is uh, nano circuits. Uh, there are there is metal, you know, uh, chrome, nickel, and m- many others. But and there is a RFID that. Professor Arne Burkhardt, who was unfortunately killed because he was really great and he was proving so many things. Um, well, all this is in the job. But the little turn in this, it is that it is not biological. Nothing is biological because you need um, uh, nitrogen and phosphor to prove that something is biological. That's correlated what Dr. David Martin discloses very bluntly, clearly, uh, that everything is synthetic. So when you ta- tell, you know, um, infectious disease doctors um, that there is nothing uh, biological, this is synthetic biology. Who is the expert in the room on synthetic biology? 
and here you get the problem of the criminal scene is that you have to get out of the door or get interested and get get uh you know ready to learn from the engineers from the nanotech from what how they use the nano circuits with 5G but not only would they call it 5G someone told me they call it 5G but actually it can be an update of 4G and because they don't need the system is already there they can go up to 8G but it can also be microwave directed energy and what people also have to understand is that all this material in the jab and maybe more because Dr. Kari Madesh found also that this parasite looks very non-human you know when you put it at the temperature of the body so all all this is with with graphene oxide with graphene oxide was actually not at all something that was biocompatible and they made it biocompatible in the last 10 years through many research of which one uh, called flagship uh 2016 where they made a report on all the money they have given and how they have developed the biocompatibility of graphene oxide. It is a very special material, nanoparticle. You can't see it, micro, micro, but it is has the capacity to be very uh, diluted or to be very strong. Suddenly, it can be- become unbreakable almost. That surprised me. And the other one that was this really is very important is that it is uh, an emitter and a receptor and an emitter of frequency. And it is almost like a computer because it can download data. Yeah. An emitter of, your, of frequency, right. And your body, you know, already when I was doing the anti-aging, the biomaterial of the body we, and we how do the body have functions. to finish, Astrid. I hate to break off here. Oh, sorry. Would you come back and talk some more just specifically yes. about nanotechnology with us? Sure, sure, sure. All I right. will. We're going to arrange that, folks. Um, You're such a wonderful resource, wonderful person. God bless you, and thank you for being on the show. Let's give solutions if we can. Yeah, yes. Thank all of you. Thank all of you who are listening for taking so seriously all that we are talking about.